0: Log Talk Radio.
1: you're listening to Corrales Radio with your host Jeff Godbold and Dayton Croyton what's up Dayton?
2: not much Um, today's my Friday so it's a good day
1: oh cool cool well I've been off for a couple days because I'm fighting the flu so um, I wish I could say that I was just going into a good weekend but I'm still recovering, but uh, yeah. yeah, man, got an exciting show for everybody lined up tonight. Um, if you guys want to call in, I uh, guess call in is 646-478-5691. Um, call in with any questions. Uh, we got a really fun show planned with uh, Brian Fisher. Uh, we're going to be talking about naturalistic vivariums and uh, how to set those up just for, uh, I guess, basic setups. Um, but we also are going to talk a little bit about uh, specific uh, plant species and whatnot to use if you want to set one up for Corralis. Um, Brian seems to have experience with this, and um, he's kept Corralis and naturalistic vivariums in the past. and. I don't know, it seems to have a lot of knowledge about it, so it should be a fun show.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited to hear what he has to say. Um my very first Amazon tree boa I kept in uh I don't know, I guess you'd call it a naturalistic vivarium. I had plants in there and everything, but I you know, some people go all out and they have, you know, uh like bacteria and uh living microorganisms and everything like that that uh dispose of the waste, I didn't have any of that, but um, I'd be interested to see see if what he has to say on that
1: yeah i I never knew that much uh went into like the substrates and whatnot and
0: yeah, um, yeah. making
1: them completely bioactive and everything but uh we'll get into all that um as soon as we uh we bring Brian on um. Real quick, there's a couple things I wanted to to touch on. It's been a, I guess, somewhat of a triumphant, uh triumphant uh, week, I guess, for the reptile community. Um, maybe been maybe the last two weeks. Uh, so we this this episode was scheduled uh, last week, but we had something come up and we had to reschedule it uh, on the on the fly. But um, anyway, a couple things that have come about. Uh, one thing is, uh, you know, Condros um up until this point uh have been illegal to uh, keep and breed in Massachusetts uh, unless you had the uh, proper permitting um and uh this week uh, they were it was passed that uh, you could now keep and, and breed chondros in the state of Massachusetts without um you know without a license or without a permit or a license so um I think you know that's kind of a I think all, all, all the, the, even the, the small, um, you know, steps are all, uh, are small victories, so to speak, are always worth uh, talking about. You know, it seems like we've had so much going in the opposite direction, it's kind of nice to win one, you know.
2: That's really, I mean, like, I was aware that green tree pythons were were banned in Massachusetts, but, I mean, that's pretty ridiculous. I mean, what are they going to start uh A wild population in Massachusetts of green tree pythons?
1: Yeah. Or... (laughs) I haven't really figured it out. They're not big. They're not... Yeah, they're not going to eat your baby. And and they wouldn't live very long because six months out of the year, Massachusetts is not... Yeah.
2: They're not a danger to anybody aside from, you know, they can bite, but anything can bite, really.
1: It's just, you know, typical you know they misinformation and um you know blank, the easiest thing to do rather than research the species and 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 the incidents that may occur you know across the country is the easier alternative take would be to just put bl- blanket bans on everything and um unfortunately that seems to be where we're at in this country but you know hopefully with with uh things like this uh, we can change that. Um, I know USARC is uh, doing a lot to, you know, uh, help us with our rights and our rights to keep these animals and um, to educate people about them and how to properly keep them and to uh, point the blame where where the blame needs to be pointed. And you know, these uh, incidents that happen, it's it's usually keep our error, it's not because of the animal. Um, so we need to make sure that we're informing the public and and the people that um, are ignorant to, to reptiles, you know, about, you know, how to properly keep them and to try and create a uh, you know, play into people's you know, play on people's heartstrings, play into their emotions, get them to, to appreciate the animals for their beauty and their exotic nature and, you know, the fact that we can keep these animals in our own homes, you know, and, and most people would never have a chance to even see them other than on the television is is pretty remarkable. But um, I want everybody to to support USARC. Um, you know, one thing I do, and this is just a small step, but, you know, think of everybody that ships reptiles in the United States. Um, if they were to do this, it would make a huge difference. I ship all my animals to shipyourreptiles.com. And right before you submit your or confirm the shipment, they have a little sentence or a little box for you to check to donate a dollar to usarc And that's huge because I do it every time. And, you know, if you've got everybody that's shipping reptiles here that uses shipyourreptiles.com, you know, was to check that box and just donate a dollar, which pretty much nothing, you know, compared to what we're spending and shipping and, and to the animals, what's a dollar going to do, you know. But if everybody does that, that would really help uh, USARC. And and I, you know, I hope that people will take advantage of that. Um, we're not all in the position to donate the full sales of animals that we produce or whatnot to, to them. You know, we, we all come from different uh, monetary bra- backgrounds, but a dollar is something that everybody could do. You know that that's shipping. So, um, anyway, I just I totally to put that agree plug with you, there. and that,
2: that's something I do as well. Um, and I honestly I don't stay completely up to date on everything that's going on. You know the new laws that are being passed and new species they're trying to add on the fan, but it's uh, it's good to know that there's an organization out there that's fighting against that and fighting for our right to keep you know, the animals that we love.
1: Absolutely. You know, it's kind of, I almost find it, to me, it's confusing that, you know, people want to be able to keep their reptiles and they want to, you know, you want to do what you want to do, you know, but you don't want to support the organization that's on the forefront fighting for the freedom of you being able to do that. So, Um, anyway, uh, if you are listening to this and you ship reptiles, get on shipyourreptiles.com. You'll get a discount with every shipment and right before you ship, be sure and check that little box to donate a dollar. Um, otherwise you could send in a dollar to USARC, uh, go on their website, check them out, be informed and, uh, make sure, you know, you're helping then uh, fight for your rights um so i think we uh i think we got brian on the on the uh on the line uh, i think he's called in and um you want to bring him on dayton let's bring him on all right let's do it hey brian you there
3: yep hey guys how are you doing
1: good how are you doing
3: good how are you Pretty good. Uh, My Friday too, so I'm a
1: couple beers in. Good day. Nice. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So this will be a fun episode, man. We we haven't we focused on animals in every episode, and we really haven't focused on the you know the environment of the animal. So this should be kind of neat.
0: Sure,
3: yeah, um I think it's uh, kind of an aspect that gets um especially today um well, I kind of got started and it seemed like it was more of the norm, but everybody seems to kind of be moving towards the old newspaper and p v c um you know fad um so to speak, but um I think there's a lot to be gained from it, so um looking forward to getting people into it.
1: Do you currently
2: keep any reptiles? Yeah, I keep
3: uh, mainly chondros, um, dart frogs. Um, That's pretty much all I keep right now. Um, In the past, I've kept stuff from pretty much every group, Um, frogs, geckos, um, monitors, arborioles of all different types, Uh, you know, arboriol colubrids, um, corralis, Pretty much everything,
1: uh, at some point. Right on. Very cool. How, how did you get into uh, to reptiles to begin with? If you don't mind me asking.
3: Um, well, my dad kind of started me in it. Um, you know, I grew up in uh, Southeast Pennsylvania, um, just kind of mucking around the woods and whatnot, catching leopard frogs, garter snakes, things like that. Um, and then I kind of really just took off with it. The interest never really left me. Um, Started kind of keeping stuff around the age of ten, um, more of your, like your common stuff like garter snakes, corn snakes, and moles, but um, most are probably considered trash species today. Um, then I kind of got into like day geckos, uh, mantellas, dart frogs, uh, and that's really kind of where I started to get into making the naturalistic setups, um, and uh, it never really stopped from there. Um, And then at 12, I got my first chondro. Um, Probably wasn't the best idea. You know, uh, (laughs) most 12 years uh, I don't think would be uh, ready to keep chondros, but I did pretty well with it. Um, Had that snake for around a decade. um, Writer a couple times and learned a lot. Um, And, you know, basically ever since I got my first chondro, I've been into arboreals mainly. Um, some Amazons, Emeralds, um, Amazonian vine snakes, uh I got snakes, all sorts of different, um, Arboreal coll- polybrids and birds and stuff like that. Um, so uh, right now I'm going on about f- 15 years with that stuff. Um, and my main attraction, you know, has always kind of been the ability to keep Keep those species in naturalistic variables. I mean, you know, I, I like uh, pretty much everything. You know, ball pythons even, <laughs> um, but they don't really run themselves to those type of setups very well. You know, most of the time they're hiding or, or you know whatnot. Um, I like stuff that's kind of out in Europe and out on um, branches and whatnot. So you can actually set them up that way. Um, and I think it kind of goes back to what you guys uh, talked to Nick about last week or uh, two weeks ago, I guess, um, about, you know, why people are in the hobby and why they're into the species that they keep. You know, I've, I've been attracted to making displays, um, and encouraging the species to kind of behave as they naturally would. Um, cause that's kind of what I, what I enjoy watching them, you know, do their, their natural behaviors or whatnot, uh, like the coddling and, and, um, hunting and whatnot. um, and I've tried the, you know, the simple setups of paper towels and newspaper and PVC perches, and I just kind of honestly got bored with it pretty quickly. You know, a, a pretty snake is, is cool and all, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, when when they're just sitting on a PVC perch, you're just kind of, you know, might as well just be a picture uh, sitting there in a the tub, uh, in my opinion, at least. Um So because of that, I've been naturally drawn to, you know, those species and poison dart frogs I've been working with about the same amount of time. Um, And there's a few differences in how you keep the vivariums, but it's all very, very similar.
2: So you keep all your animals in naturalistic setups then? Yeah, for the most part. Um, Usually when I get a new animal
3: in, I'll keep it pretty simple, just, you know, just because it's easier to to see the fecals and and just kind of monitor health, Um, but usually after about, you know, three to six months, I shift them over to a a natural vivarium.
2: And how many animals are you keeping? I mean, like roughly, I guess.
3: Um, Snakes, I only got half a dozen right now. I'm I'm kind of in a transition point in life. Um, I moved down to Florida from Pennsylvania a couple years ago. Um, and just kind of finally getting settled in. Um, So, you know, uh, I'll I'll probably be looking to get a a dozen or a dozen and a half animals eventually at some point. Um, But, yeah, right now it's about half a dozen.
2: I guess what I was trying to get at is, do you think it's more, like, I don't know, uh, economical to keep them in a naturalistic setup or the more traditional? Um, I, I mean, I guess if you have, you know, 30,
3: 50, 100 animals, it's probably not reasonable to keep them in, in, you know, large naturalistic um, setups. Um, but, I mean, I guess it all depends on what you're in it for. Um, if you're, if you're into um, mainly just producing cool looking animals, then it might not be for you. Um, if you're in it
0: just to kind of enjoy the animals
3: as, as they are, you know, how they behave and all that, um, then I would definitely recommend it. Um, definitely recommend it for at least one of your animals. Um, I mean, it doesn't take up that much space to just set up one, um, to enjoy that way. All right. Hmm.
1: Very cool. I, I, would like I mean I've never I don't really have any experience with what the true you know definition of a naturalistic aquarium is but I've always been a fan of you know mulch and you know different types of uh, eco friendly you know substrates and um, you know natural naturalistic perches and stuff like that I just never you know dive dove into you know making it as complex as what I've from what I've seen, you know, uh, especially with the dark frog guys, those guys have it down. <laughs> so, um,
3: yeah, yeah. They, they take it,
1: uh, a little too far, I think sometimes.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, um, why don't we, why don't we start by, um, I guess start from setting up the vivarium. Um, I guess you will let you kind of talk a little bit about, uh, some basic procedures that you go through. Um, and then as you get more into it, we can kind of tailor it to, um, to Corralis. Uh, but I, I got a couple questions from, um, these questions are from Zach Baez. Um, and they kind of, um, are a good starting point, I think, because it has to talk with, uh, it has to do with the, the plant selection process. And so, Uh, I've got two questions from him, uh, or a couple questions. Um, He wants to know, uh, what do you do uh, to prepare store-bought plants, like if you're going to Lowe's or Home Depot? And, you know, what's the treatment process before introducing those into the enclosure?
3: Um, I've seen a few people do it uh, a few different ways. Um, Usually what I do is I'll first take the plant completely out of the pot try and get most of the soil off of the roots without damaging too much. Um, and then I'll soak them in, um, just some, some clean water, um, for maybe, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Um, just try and get all the debris off that I can. Um, and then depending on what plant it is, some are a little more sensitive to it than others. Um, like I usually don't do it with bromeliads or, um, Plants or anything like that, but um, you know your philodendrons, pop those, things like that. You can put them in like a, a you know three to five percent bleach solution. Uh, let them soak for you know uh, five ten minutes, um, and that'll kind of help to get all those you know deposits off, any um, any excess you know pesticide, whatever might be on there. That'll help kind of clean them off, and it won't hurt too much um I'll okay. take them out and kind of rinse them off and then you can repot them what kind of
1: soil are you looking for just like all natural stuff or
3: yeah i will usually use a mix of like a, a coarse bark um i like to use some of the uh, orchid barks that you'll find at like a lowes or home depot um then i'll mix that with peat moss um that usually works pretty well for me. You can also mix a little bit of, uh, you know, sphagnum moss or orchid moss in there um, to kind of break it up a little bit, give it a little more better drainage.
1: Oh, okay. Now, I had heard that, um, and Zach messaged me this, that sphagnum, um, some people have mentioned that sphagnum carries mites. Um, Have you seen this at all, or...? No, um, what they're probably seeing is wood lice,
3: which you're going to find on pretty much any, um, soil or, uh, natural wood that you put in any, um, you know, vivarium that's going to be moist at all. Um, they're completely harmless to the snake, um, but sometimes you will see quite a few of them running all over the wood, all over the, uh substrate um but no those are i've never ever heard or, or seen of uh, actual snake mites on any of those products
1: okay well cool so um i guess let's we'll, let's get started uh, what do we you know what do you what if i wanted to put a if i have no knowledge whatsoever what's what's my first step in and this whole process of, of getting a naturalistic aquarium started?
3: Uh, well, the first thing would probably pick what type of enclosure you want to use. Um, today we kind of have quite a number of choices. When I started, it was pretty much just your standard aquariums, um, or something that you wanted to custom build. Um, but standard aquariums can work pretty well. They just require quite a bit of modification. Um, As far as a a good size um, for small to medium or boil snakes, I like to use, you know, a a two to three foot wide um, enclosure and two to three foot high kind of as a minimum. I like to go bigger on my stuff just because I like to give them some space. Um, But if you have quite a few snakes, it's probably not feasible. Um, But I think most people probably keep, um, you know, corals, tangs, things like that, in you know, two to three foot cubes, I would think. Um, so you're not going too far out of the normal enclosure size. Um, but the standard aquariums, uh, they can work well. Um, one of the downsides is that you know, you're dealing with five sides that are glass, um, so you're not getting too much airflow. Uh, humidity and, and uh, moisture can build up can build up pretty bad if you, if you don't have it properly ventilated. Um, one of the good things is that you have a 360 degree view, um, which if you're going for a display, that you know that's one benefit that might be worth uh, kind of dealing with those. But the best best way I found um, to use an aquarium for arboreal uh, is. Um, standing one kind of on end um, so that the top of the aquarium is facing front. Um, and you can get uh, you can either make your own or um, there's a few companies out there that will make inserts that you can glue into the front um, and make uh, you know front opening doors for it. Um, that's the best way I've, I've found to the modify them to use.
0: Uh,
3: and then, of course, you know, you can also use the Exoterra Zoomed uh, tanks, which kind of have that already already done for you. Plus, they have the added benefit of the the screen top already in there. Um, and if you ever tried to keep a boa snake like congo or an Amazon in a top opening tank, that's probably the easiest way to get bit <laughs> out there. Uh, it's not fun. I agree. Uh, <laughs> um but yeah, and the uh the Xoter and zoomeds are pretty easy to modify. Um the doors are pretty easy to take off if you wanted to uh do something different with that. Um the top, the screens pretty easy to come off if you wanted to cover it up more. Um, yeah, they're they're pretty good for modification. Um some of the sizes I'm I'm not too fond of, but they make quite a quite a variety, so those are pretty good. Um, I use mainly uh, PVC and the uh, HDP cages that uh, Constrictor Northwest makes. Um, I just prefer them because they they you eat a little bit better. Um, and I'm not necessarily looking for displays. I'm just looking for ways to um, allow my animals to kind of behave a little more naturally and and uh, enjoy them that way. So I'm not necessarily looking for the 360-degree view. Um, and It kind of gives them a little more security. They're not always seeing people walking around and things like that. Um, Those are a lot more customizable. You can get people to make them for you in pretty much any size you want. Um, You know, front front opening with a swing open or sliding glass doors. that's one of the things I like about using those a little bit better. Um, that's that's pretty much it for for a selection of your enclosure.
2: Um, do you have any questions about that? Uh, no, I. So those plastic ones, those are probably better for insulation, you know, than glass, right? So yeah,
0: it helps, yeah, definitely holds the heat in
2: better. Yeah, and yeah. And I guess. I mean, if, oh, sorry, guys. I was gonna say, and I guess with like a planted vivarium, you're gonna have more um, fluctuation in like temperature. You're probably gonna have cooler spots, and well, I mean, then you'll have the hot spot, obviously. But it would be more so than just a plain paper substrate. Uh, well,
3: yes and no. I mean,
2: I, in my experience, the the,
3: you know, foliage and whatnot kind of helps to inflate um inside um it also helps kind of improve the air quality and the and the uh, humidity inside the enclosure right um but another you know added benefit of the the pvc or hdp you know you're you're very easily drilled um so you can kind of add ventilation wherever you want to you can you know um install uh radiant heat panels in the top pretty easily, uh, which is a lot harder to do in the you know, an aquarium or, or something like that. All
1: right. I guess it probably is a smart thing to do if you're gonna be doing this with the I guess commercially made cages like some of like Ed Lilly's cages or, you know, file or whatever it is, is probably you probably want to seal the uh the sides on the inside, don't you? with some, looks like aquarium sealant. I mean, I'm wondering right, if that yeah. would be a I idea. Yeah,
3: I usually,
1: just,
3: yeah, I, I usually oh. just run a, a small bead of silicone um, right along all the edges, and maybe four or five inches up from the bottom. Um, that that usually takes care of it pretty well. You don't need anything to completely seal it just to fill in those gaps. Because um, in, a, in a snake enclosure, you're generally not going to be dousing it in water and, and have a sitting water in there. Dart um, frog vivariums are a little bit different, but for snakes, that's usually not an issue.
2: Now, I got I got a question because you got you use um, the HDPE enclosures, and I I know uh, someone else who got enclosures from uh, Ed Lilly, and I was under the impression that. Only like one or two things that actually stick to it. So silicone, you have a hard time with that actually like drying and adhering to it. But it'll
3: dry, and it'll um, as long as you get it to go into the seams, uh, it'll dry. It'll dry in there and create kind of um, the words escaping me. It'll create a, a barrier to prevent you know much excess water from leaking down in there. Um, but like I said, generally, um, you shouldn't be having sitting water in you know, in a, in arboreal cage anyway, in the substrate at least. Um, so generally I haven't had any issues with that. Um, so you,
2: cause those are, uh, those are, um, what are they, what, what am I thinking? Those are, uh, routered. So they, um, fit together, yeah, they, right? They kind of all lock together uh without many screws. Um so, which you is put that in the actual groove when you put it together, not on the inside after it's assembled, right? Yeah, I I do it after it's
3: assembled. Um Oh, okay. Usually there's there's still kind of a a small gap between um kind of the, the insert um so you can just kind of squeeze a little bit in there. You don't need very much um, to prevent the, you know, much water from, from leaking down. Okay, I, I didn't want to
2: go in too in-depth on that. I just wanted to clear up some of my own question. Oh,
1: sure. So what goes into uh, getting your substrate, you know, once you have your enclosure? Where do you, because I know that there's a, a few different items you need for that, uh, assuming that it's, I mean, obviously, if you want to keep it simple, I guess you could go with mulch or moss or something like that. But um, if you want to make it, I guess, bioactive, uh, what's needed? Right.
3: Well, um, since you're probably going to have live plants in there, um, you're going to be misting or watering or or something like that. So you do want a drainage layer. Um, There's a few different ways you can go with it. Um, I've used gravel in the past. Uh, downside to that is it's extremely heavy. Um, so if you're, if you have a setup that you think you might need to move and it's fairly big, probably don't go with gravel. <laughs>
0: um,
3: or if you have cages stacked on one another, um, you don't want it to start to sag or anything like that. Uh, I usually use, uh, clay pellets, um, They're very lightweight. Uh, Most of the dart frog keepers uh, use that. Uh, Like I said, it's very lightweight. Um, They provide very good drainage. Um, Those are usually where I start. I do two to three inches of that in the bottom. Um, And then you put a layer of screen Uh, I usually use aluminum screening, something flexible. Um, I've tried, you know, harder uh, screens before that aren't quite as flexible. Um, They tend to get brittle and break and and stuff like that after, uh, you know, six months to a year of use. Um, So I tend to go with the more flexible stuff. Um, Put a layer of that, that will kind of keep your substrate from getting into your drainage layer. Um, and then after that, you can put your uh, peat moss, uh, moss, sphagnum moss, um, orchid bark, anything like that. I usually mix all that stuff up. Uh, it'll kind of give it a nice consistency, and um, the plants usually do pretty
2: well in that in that mix. Okay, so, so bark and moss, then basically.
3: Yeah. Um, I usually do about 50% peat moss, um, 25% kind of like bark, and then 25% uh, you know sphagnum moss or, or orchid moss. Um,
0: the so orchid no moss, actual
2: like dirt or anything needed. Um, I mean the peat moss is kind of like uh, oh, if you okay. look
3: at it, it, it kind of looks like dirt. Um, it's very fine, um, kind of brown. Um, I believe it's just kind of like graded up, uh, you know, moss. But um, it, it basically looks like dirt, acts like dirt.
1: Yeah, I've used it before. It's it looks well, just like dirt, same consistency. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so, do you do like a top layer of like? Uh, foliage or a top layer of, like, thicker moss, or do you just kind of leave leave it as is after you have that mixture?
3: Uh, I usually prefer it just as is, just the way it looks. Um, I've seen people a whole layer of, like, an inch or so of sphagnum. Um, I guess it would just be all kind of personal preference. Um, But you do want that kind of initial layer of more, Peat moss, and, um, you know, a little bit of a coarser substrate mixed in for the plants that you're going to be planting
1: in there. So when you kept Corralis, did you have problems with uh, the animals, you know, when they're out roaming at night, getting uh, the substrate impacted in in their, in their heat pits or in their mouth at all or anything? I always worry about that with bioactive stuff, uh, and so i
3: uh, no, I've, I've never really run across that. Um, I've only really had it happen one time and that was when the animal missed, um, missed the prey item at the, um, but it didn't really cause any issues. I just left them alone and, and they eventually worked it out on their own. But n- normally from, you know, just, uh, nightly activity, I've, I've never had
1: any issues with that. Okay, I that's always been a fear of mine. I've always been worried that they would, you know, roam around and get stuff all in their mouth, and it'd be a mess to get out of there. And, you know, I worried about it you know, causing problems down the road. But um, sometimes I forget that they're wild animals, even though they're in our house. <laughs> <Maybe> <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say, I I I,
3: I kind of tend to to just kind of. Uh, Maybe it's a fault on my part and, you know, knock on wood, I've never had any issues, but, you know, I, I kind of give them more credit than I think most people do. You, you know, they're, they're out in, you know, Amazon or, or, you know, Papua New Guinea where, you know, we'd probably have a tough time and they're doing just fine. So, you know, I think they can they can handle themselves pretty well around some dirt.
1: Yeah, it's okay.
2: I I, I I baby my snakes too, Jeff. I always if I see something, I'm always taking them out and checking, or you know if they had some dirt in their mouth, you know I open it up and try to try to take it out and everything. But yeah, I'm sure it would probably be fine as long as they didn't get too should, much in it's there. He's
1: probably just us stressing the snakes out. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Well, so uh, do you? Go ahead, Peyton. Uh, I was gonna, so do you have it set up where you don't have to clean out um, the feces or anything, or or are yours not set up that way? Uh, no. I mean, mine are
0: set up that way, but I,
2: I will still um,
3: kind of do spot cleaning as I see it. Um, I'm not necessarily as diligent about it because, I'm, you know, I have, um, you know, Springtails and isopods and, and things like that seated in my substrate that will will go to town on fecal matter as soon as it's there. Um, but I'll I'll still remove it because I mean it, it is it is a small enclosed area. It's not you know it's, it's not a forest. Um, so if I see it, I'll remove it. But I I don't you know go out of my way to make sure that it's, it's completely spotless,
2: right? And I I had heard um, so well. I'd heard uh, that you do actually have to remove the urates because uh, nothing really breaks that down. Or is is that not true? Um. It, well, it depends. I mean, I, if it's if it's quite a big
3: one, um, usually I'll just remove it. Um, but I, on smaller Smaller animals usually it'll break down in in uh, a few weeks. I've never really had too many issues with that, a um, buildup of of in the substrate or anything like that. All right.
1: What what are the types of insects that you that you put in the, the substrate to 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 break down a lot of the, the fecal matter and stuff? I've heard of people doing that.
3: Yeah, uh it, I mean it's a big thing in the in the dart frog community. Um it's pretty much a standard. Uh the two most common ones people use are uh springtails, which are um they kinda look like wood lice, actually. Um what we talked about earlier being on the wood and, and you know, soil and whatnot. Um they're they're probably maybe one or two millimeters in length. Um Usually they're kind of a whitish, uh, light gray color. Um, and you can buy cultures of them at all sorts of different places online. If you if you go to, like, dark frog supply stores like um, Black Jungle or um, anyherp.com, dark frog, they all, they all sell them. Um, same with isopods. Um, most people know those as, uh, you know, like roly polies. Um Right. They're a little little bit bigger. Those guys are are better for breaking down, like, the the bigger things, like fecal matter and and things like that. Uh, They don't reproduce quite as fast, so you kind of got to make sure you feed them pretty good. But usually those are the the two main ones. Um, I've I've kind of put in um, all all sorts of various things. Um, Silverfish, fish. all sorts of. Uh, there's a bunch of different isopods that you can find. There's like uh, red dwarfs and white this and white that. It, there's a there's a lot of different species. You not just uh, not just one that people use. Um, you can get a pretty good uh, diverse um, bioactive substrate going. Now,
2: do they all do the same thing roughly, or, or do you have to have different kinds? Like a mixture of, you know, you know one or two, or, or, or I mean a mixture of two or three different, you know,
3: ones? Well, so they all do pretty much the same thing. I mean, they're just breaking down kind of detritus and, um, and you know, decomposing matter. Um, right. It, it's mainly a difference of size. Uh, the isopods generally tend to be much, much bigger than the springtails. Um, so the springtails will kind of uh, go to town on, on pretty much anything, but it's going to take them longer to do it. Um, The isopods are are pretty big. Some of them are, you know, like half a centimeter uh, long. So they can, can, you know, fecal matter and things like that a little bit faster. Right.
1: I used to have some of those, and this is completely off topic, but I actually bought a couple of those, um, like, at a the San Diego Reptile Show, and I guess they were Madagascar ones or something like that. And I don't remember where they were from, but they were ginormous, like when they curled up in a ball it was almost the size of a golf ball.
2: You mean the cockroaches?
1: No, they were not cockroaches. They were those uh, what are they called? Is it called isopods? Is that what you're I, calling them?
3: Yeah, right. isopods. I think I know what
1: you're talking about. Um, I don't I think, think most people use it. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. scientific name is roly-poly. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want to call them, but I don't want to sound gay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I think most people actually just kind of keep those as like a pet, like you would a, you know, hissing cockroach or, or something like that. Um, I've I never yeah, seen that. Nobody I, 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 actually I, used them as a varium,
1: but, yeah, same kind of thing. I haven't either. I, I donated them to a friend's science class. I I wasn't um, the uh, – they were used in bioactive substrates, but I'm sure that they, I don't know, break down like, like bull or gorilla poo or something like that in the wild. I don't know, (laughs) but, um, they were huge, but I would, I would imagine that I, I don't know for, for snake, uh, fecal matter, I would imagine the, the, uh, you know, the smaller versions probably would do that fairly, fairly well, I guess.
3: Yeah. Yeah, they they do a pretty good job. Um, but like I said, I mean,
1: uh, it
3: kind of depends on how how frequently you see your snakes, how much you are defecating. You know, I, I'll uh, if I see it and it's out in the open, I'll I'll usually grab it and um, get it out of there. Um, but they'll they'll get most of the the other stuff.
2: So you don't have to worry so, about you know any like residue or anything because it'll you know take Right. Care of right. That.
1: Right. Yeah. All right. So, after you've got your your uh, your substrate all figured out, um, do you typically uh, save the perches for last, your perch selection, or do you save the plant uh, planting the plants for last, or do you mix the perches in with like slate pieces of rock, or do you like making backgrounds? Like, what what do you do next after you've got your substrate?
0: Um.
3: Well, if you're going to make a background, usually you, I would do that before I start putting the substrate in there. Um, I don't always oh, yeah, do a background. Yeah. Um, if you're going to do a background, um, most people will go with the uh, great stuff, which is kind of an expanding uh, styrofoam. Um, you just kind of spray it on the back. It'll expand over about 24 hours. And then you can kind of carve it to whatever shape you want. and um, And then you can Seal that with silicone, just spread silicone over the whole surface, and then you can kind of stick whatever you want to the background to kind of make it more look more naturalistic before the silicone dries. Um, I've used peat moss, um, you know, sphagnum moss, all sorts of stuff. Um, that looks pretty cool when you're done. So, I've seen some of those with that... uh,
2: they smeared the toco fiber or whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah, on the on the silicone. It looks pretty cool. I think look yeah, it look neat. I I actually and,
3: like it uh, a lot. It it'll provide a really good surface. if you have any vining uh, plants like pothos or, or any philodendrons. um, they'll grab onto that that sort of stuff a lot quicker than they would just a flat, you know, P V C uh
1: sheet or glass or anything like that. So you you so you you basically um you know put it in sections where you want there to be a, a textured background you let it dry overnight um, so it expands and then the next day you go and apply the 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 cocoa fiber or whatever you're using to stick to it. Is that
3: right, right? yeah yeah
2: yeah um, he puts the silicone I, over after the after the expanding foam dries and mm-hmm. then when the silicone's still wet, he has the extra. Oh, so, gotcha.
1: That makes sense. Right. Yeah. All right. So the silicone
3: and, will seal seal the styrofoam, and then it will also act as a you know a way for you to stick whatever sort of substrate you want to stick to the background.
1: Gotcha. Now, are you doing this to your? Is it sticking to your HDP cages or? I know you said you use Ed stuff. Yeah. Well,
3: what I actually do for his uh, cages, since the silicone won't really stick to it, um, I'll actually drill a few holes in the back, and uh, you guys know that light grating, uh, like the egg crate that people use for their yep. you know, no substrate, egg boxes, things like that. Um, yeah. I'll take a sheet of that, cut it to size, and I'll zip tie it to the back, and then I'll styrofoam over that, so it, the styrofoam will actually grip onto the the light grading. Um
1: and it'll hold on to
3: the back that way.
1: Oh that's really cool. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm kinda of wanting to try that. Like even with some of like, my carpet pythons, make like a little rock ledge or something like that. Like kind of to texturize the back back of the uh the cage. Yeah.
2: You had found something me, like that before, fun. hadn't you? You you sent me some pictures or something. It was like fake rock, but You've got it at Home Depot or something.
1: Yeah, you. <laughs> there, there are these. Uh, I, I went to Home Depot and the, you know how you buy the different borders for your garden bed. They can be like wood, little wood, um, like logs for your garden bed, or different types of rocks. Um, they made this like they make this composite stuff, and it's three rocks, and they're usually curved a little bit for people to put in there, make like a little rock border there to separate their grass from the mulch and the flower bed. And I uh, I had some younger Aryan carpet pythons and took a few of them and put them inside of a PVC cage. I mean, I didn't have to, I really, I just sat them against the wall because they have a flat bottom to them. So I laid them on their side and they, you know, I had mulch underneath it, so it kind of... Looked flush and everything like that. Now I don't know how that would work for an adult carpet, you know, that'll be it's got a lot more weight and, and and momentum whenever they're they're moving around. But for my younger carpets, they they're really cool and they probably would work really well for people with geckos and stuff because they look like real rocks. Hmm. But yeah, they're like three bucks a piece or something like that at, at Home Depot in the garden section.
3: I'll check it out. I, um, I haven't seen those.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how well they would work for larger snakes, but if you've got smaller snakes, and or you've got geckos, um, you could get a couple of them. You know, if you're using are you using mulch or some type of bioactive substrate, you can flip them on their side so that what would normally be on the bottom, if you're using it out in your yard, would be against the back wall, and it creates mm-hmm. a little ledge. You know, for the animal to to climb up on or whatnot, and if you've got perches and stuff in there, and a pothos plant or something, so it looks kind of neat.
2: Uh, that kind of brings me a question to about that uh, home stuff. Um, do you have a problem with things with with claws if they like say grip on it or climb on it? Do they do they actually like rip into it or?
3: Yeah, I mean, if you're using uh, if you're using it for any larger lizards um like i've I've tried it with like smaller monitors like timor monitors and things like that, and they will kind of eventually start to tear it up um yeah they'll they'll go their claws will go straight through the silicone and it will take like six months or so, but they'll eventually start to kind of get through to the, the styrofoam underneath um, but you don't really have to worry about that with snakes or or frogs too much All right.
0: Hmm.
1: So what do you do about you know where do you go from there like what what kind of woods are you looking at for um, either laying on the bottom of the floor or using for purchase uh,
3: Well I'm a I'm a big fan of Cork Park um, I'm sure most people are um, it, it's it stands up to, you know, moisture well. It, it's very lightweight. Uh, it doesn't mold. Uh, it, it's, there's really nothing bad about it. Sometimes I use, um, you know, half-cork half browns half um, on the bottom as, you know, little kind of hides. Um, sometimes I'll throw, like, a large, um, you know, hole round. Um, I'll just kind of throw it in there on the bottom. Um, and it's kind of like a, like a half log almost. Um, and it acts as a high as well. Um, down here in Florida, um, I'm sure you've seen them, Jeff. You, there's like cork trees just randomly down here in South Florida. Um, so I'll kind of go get my, my
2: branches that way. I like to use cork branches, um, for my purchase. Um, I, uh, not to cut you off or anything, but, um, I had recently got a, a rack system for some, uh, I was going to use it for my yearling Amazons. Um, and it fits some bigger tubs, but they're not very tall. Um, so I was trying to figure out what I wanted to use for purchase. And I was at a reptile show last weekend and I bought a bunch of cork bark and I put it in there and my Amazons totally dig it. But, um, they do like to stay under it a lot <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah
2: yeah they, they work
3: really well as a, as a hide pretty much all around for for pretty much anything
1: um i used to I used to use crepe myrtle a lot. I don't live in Florida anymore I moved uh this past year, but um I've always used crepe myrtle um I've used a little bit out here too in California, but um I've thought of. Combining the two using naturalistic perches with uh, with cork bark. I think cork bark's expensive, though. If you if you buy it, it's it kind of yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah,
0: really
1: it can be,
3: can be kind of expensive. Um, other than than cork, I mean, when I used to live in Pennsylvania, I'd use um, oak branches. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, grapewood, um, manzanita, uh, the grapewood I found does kind of tend to mold if you're keeping something a little more humid. Um, I never really liked it for using it with frogs, um, but it might work well for, for snakes if you can find some, some, uh, thinner ones for, for using for perches, uh, since you're generally not using it too well and, or, you know, not that humid. Um, as you would a dart frog tank. Um, but the manzanita did work pretty well. Um,
1: like I said, I used to use oak but in Pennsylvania. That usually worked pretty well. Now, you want to stay away from any of the fruit-bearing stuff, too, right? Like, we've got these, like, um, in my front yard, I, I don't know what, there's some type of cherry uh, but they're not your typical cherry tree, but they're some type of cherry. But, I mean, they've got really cool, gnarly perches that would be perfect for Amazons. But, um, you know, it's a fruit-bearing tree, and I've, I know that a lot of the fruit-bearing trees, if not all of them, are all toxic. Okay, yeah, or am I mistaken? I,
0: I'm not I sure heard
3: specifically that. on that. Um, uh, do you know what, what exactly about them is toxic? I mean, do they have a toxic sap? Or something,
1: something like that. that. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've heard. I've heard that the the, the sap inside of them is is toxic, um, okay. and it's pretty common with most fruit bearing uh, trees. Um, and I guess it's similar with you know the cedar and the redwood type uh, family okay. too. You know, yeah. it's, you know, you don't want to use that stuff in your. And this is just something that I've been told. I mean, I've always stayed away from it. I'm not saying this from. You know, I had an animal die. Thank goodness, but um, I've just heard that the sap inside of most fruit-bearing trees is is uh, is toxic. So, I have heard that pine and
2: cedar, um, and that was something in the oils that causes it, it gives it's problems for like egg egg-laying snakes. It I don't know it does something to the shell or I don't know i would heard that, yeah.
3: and it irritates their yeah. eyes or something. But, yeah, cedars isn't particularly is, nat, nasty just in general. I don't like it for
1: anything. Right. Yeah, it's it's, yeah, and we have in Northern California we have redwoods, and they make you know there's a lot of really cool perches and stuff like that you can get from some of the smaller saplings and stuff like that, but you you don't want to touch it because it's the same family as the cedar stuff. Yeah,
3: I. I had not heard that about um, flowering trees in general, but I, you know, I I generally, if there's a tree that I find a perch that I, you know I want to use, I'll I'll generally ID that tree beforehand and research it. Um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, um, that's probably I a good
0: idea. I don't
3: usually go by any any generalities. Um, as far as what's toxic or, or what's not, I just call
1: it kind of a case by case basis. Okay. Well, this is the misinformation segment for anybody that's listening. So, um, <laughs> if
2: anybody
3: that may be true, I I just I've I've never actually
1: researched
2: uh, you toxic know, trees.
1: <laughs> well, if if. Um, yeah, I just heard it was just the fruit bearing stuff, so I could be completely off base and mistaken. Um I'd really like it if we could get somebody to call in that actually knows what they're talking about and explain to us, but um anyway, uh there are some st- there there are some that are really good. Obviously the oak stuff's good, crepe myrtle's really good. I think um I I've, I've even used maple before, which is, is pretty good. Um they you've you you know you guys have um, talked about the, the cork bark.
2: If I remember correctly, uh, Maxwell used maple a lot yes, in
1: his
2: cages. Um, I use manzanita and uh, grape. Uh, I've got the cork bark, so I, I use a variety of different things.
1: There's a there's a ton of manzanita like wild trees out here, but they're all on. I haven't been able to find any that are that are not in, um, like, parks, so you can't touch them. But, like, I mean, I, we were up at, uh, north you just of go Reading. time.
0: nighttime? <laughs> bring yeah. your, bring your in the same thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, well, they're all protected, so I can't do anything to them.
2: Right, right. No, I was kidding.
1: Um, but, yeah, I like Manzanita a lot.
2: Yeah, they've got tons of it growing wild uh and bend. Um but it's got like this flaky, um flaky stuff on the outside. If you scrub it off, that'll mold really easy, so you want to scrub it off and get down to the to the inner layer. You want it's like a bark. You wanna scrub the bark off.
1: It's naturally a, kind of a reddish color, right? Yeah, yeah. When you scrub it all off, yeah. Yeah in general when
3: I when I'm taking stuff from outside, I always scrub it down with kind of a a very um you know, low percentage bleach solution and um mm-hmm. if it if it'll fit in my oven I'll usually bake it for fifteen to thirty minutes also. Um Right. Just just to kill whatever I can off of it before I actually stick it in with the snake.
2: Yeah, don't leave it. Yeah. Don't leave it in too long or turn it up too high because you fill your house up with yeah. smoke. I've done that a yeah. couple yeah. times. <laughs> or forgot that I had a stick in the oven. Yeah. That's not.
1: Fun. Man's house. see the headline? Man's house burns down because he had a, pe- a log in his oven. People start thinking he's <laughs> crazy.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um. So how do you? How are you? Uh, how are you going about? Um, mounting these these perches and stuff like that, and obviously with the cork bark you're laying on the ground, are you mounting using a mounting system uh on the walls of the cages or are you creating some type of like structure with like kind of you know putting perches on top of perches to make it i guess um, uh, kind of
3: I, I've done both um it kind of usually depends on the size of the snake for me. Uh, the bigger stuff, I'll usually mount, um, you know, little holders in on the sides, um, like most people do for, like, PVC perches. Um, right. Just because it, it makes it a little bit easier. Usually the bigger snakes will kind of, uh, you know, wreck those just kind of um, suspended structures. Right. Uh, but for the smaller stuff, I'll usually just kind of arrange them in um, – you know, whatever way I I think is kind of a feeling, and um, I'll usually throw uh, two or three zip ties in there uh, just to make sure it's a little bit more secure. And I'll just kind of set it in there, uh, leaning it up against either the background or the side, or or um, you know, a, a plant pot or whatever's
1: in there that I can use. Very cool. Now, what what are you uh, what are you using for plants? Are you I know that that's probably the the nuts and bolts of the vivarium. I'm sure that that's kind of what everybody thinks of. Is all the different plants yeah. you can use, but tell yeah, us what mean, to like, stuff to avoid and stuff that we can use.
3: Yeah, it seems like that's the part that scares everybody. Everybody thinks they can't keep plants alive, um, but I mean, obviously, popos is a good one. Um, it, it's pretty hard to kill a pothos uh, you pretty much have to neglect it for like months on end um they tend to do well in relatively low light and uh you know moist conditions uh most of the time um, you can always dry out for a little bit but i found if they're dry for more than a, you know a couple of days they start to wilt um they, as long as you're on top of watering them, they they tend to do very well. Uh, you know other sort of philodendrons. Um, you know some of them vine, some of them are are more of kind of a, a regular free you know freestanding plant. Um, they tend to do well in low light. Uh, ge- generally, any type of um, house plant, um, non-toxic obviously, that likes low light and um, you know, medium to high moisture is good,
2: uh for vivariums, Uh with states in in particular. I, I take it that everything you, you you don't add any extra lighting or anything. So all the plants you have are are good for enclosures and you don't need to add any extra any extra light or anything to that.
3: No or, I, I do have lighting in all in all of my and all my enclosures, um, but it's not, it's not really that intense. Um, usually I'm just using like, uh, you know, T8 or, or T12, uh, fluorescent bulbs, um, you know, uh, like the depth of sun sort of stuff or I like to use, um, you know, uh, fluorescent lamps that put off, uh, UV, um, but it's it's nothing that's very intense light um, it's it's more of like a, a shaded a shaded light.
1: Can right. people get by by picking this stuff up at like lowe's or or Home Depot or you know the the na yeah of those reptile specialized bulbs are kind of expensive and so um, yeah,
3: definitely any of the most of those uh, you know bulbs you can pick up at Home Depot or Lowe's or, or what have you. Um, they'll do fine for the plants. Um, the only reason I use the you know reptile bulbs is just because I like to provide UV exposure for for my animals. Um, oh
1: yeah. But you
0: can
3: you can certainly get by with um, the Home Depot lamps as far, lamps as, far as the uh, plants go.
1: Sure. Okay.
2: So this, I guess, um, you've kept paralysis. Um, the problem I have with my Amazons is, so I've kept pothos and, you know, my green trees and, and my Amazon's enclosure. Uh, but my Amazons like to, uh, you know, lay in it and cruise through it <laughs> and knock them over and they, they pretty much kill the plant. Um. Have you had that same experience or is there another plant that you would recommend? Um,
3: how big of Amazons are are you talking about? Like adult Amazons. Yeah. I don't, I'm, I've never had anything really crush poppos I mean, sometimes they'll lay on it, um, but as long as they move off of it, um, you know, no more than a day or so, uh, usually it'll, perk back up as long as it's you know uh, well watered um, right are, I mean there are sturdier plants um, a lot of the philodendrons um, particular some of I, I can't remember some of the you know the scientific names but particular variants of philodendrons that are a little more sturdy um, they stand up straight they're not a vine um, that would probably work a lot better because um, even if even if your Amazon is, um, you know, curling up at the base of it, you're not going to be crushing the leaves at the top. Um, right. But I would probably go for more, more sturdy, uh, you know, tall standing plants, not necessarily vines that are going to kind of bunch up like a bush almost.
1: Like a snake plant or something?
3: Um, I guess that would be the Sansevieria, right? They're kind of like a, a
1: yellow and green model plant. Well, think plants are those ones that have the that are dark green and they kind of swirl up. They, I don't I don't know if they're part of the aloe family or or not, but they, very, is it like a very thick, sturdy? Yeah, like nothing's yeah. going to it, nothing. An Amazon would not destroy it. I would think probably a carpet might, or maybe like a huge yeah. chondro female That's, or something, but.
3: I'm, I'm pretty sure that's Sansevieria. I mean, they they, they would probably do pretty well, too, but the, from my experience, they like it a little bit drier. Um, so it kind of depends on what other what other plant species you're keeping in there. If you're keeping um, something that, you know, likes a lot more water, like pothos or, or philodendron, um, you might want to pot that uh, Sansevieria instead of planting it right in the substrate. Um, so that you can kind of keep it a little bit drier than whatever else you have in there.
2: Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've I've heard from multiple different people that they've had no problems keeping pothos in their Amazon's cages, but I'm telling you, these things that I've got destroy it. And I don't know, I don't know how, but they do. Um, yeah. If I could show you a picture, it'd be a lot easier to explain. Or Get
1: a picture, I
0: guess.
1: <laughs> so, um, okay, so there's probably a lot of different, I know that I've heard that umbrella plants can be used also. I know that that's a popular one. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to think. Yeah,
3: I, uh, I, I use ahead. those quite a bit too. They're, uh, they're also called schefflera. Um. They work very well in um low light um, you know kind of medium moisture conditions um, The only problem I've found with those is they grow pretty quickly and they they get pretty big or they can get pretty big um so unless you have a a, a fairly tall enclosure, you're going to have to be cutting them back pretty frequently
1: oh um, um, okay.
3: other than that they're they're very sturdy um they look they look pretty cool. I like I like the way they look. Um, so I I, I
2: like them. They work pretty well for, for arboreal snakes. So do you have to do anything, uh any maintenance on your plants? Any like do you add nutrients to the soil at all or um...
3: Uh I, I generally don't need to add too much. Um once the substrate kinda gets gone and, and you're you know you're uh Know, isopods and springtails and all that is going and the snake is, is defecating in there and whatnot. Um, it, it kind of all takes care of itself. Um, you really don't have to do too much. It, I, honestly, it, it's actually easier than when I had um, all my stuff set up with newspaper and towels and all simple like that.
2: Yeah, that's a lot of work cleaning cages, especially if you have <laughs> bigger collections, you know. I mean
1: Yeah. Well I guess the goal is for the cage to kinda of maintain itself. I mean yeah. If you're
0: yeah.
1: putting all that stuff in there, you know, to get the uh yeah, to kinda of break down some of the stuff. I mean obviously big clumps you um need to 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 manage and, and take out, like but like for like, see, I, I've got two thirty-six by twenty-four by twenty-four cages, and I've I thought about selling. and just actually posted them on Facebook, seeing if anybody in the area was interested in them. Um, and I you know, I've got, I was I've been thinking about putting, you know, a couple a pair of Amazons in one of them, and um, you know, a carpet and the in the one below it, and I've wanted to to something with them because as of right now the, the full cage is not being used because I don't, you know, I have perches in there but they're not, they, I, mean, I guess I could hang them higher right now. They're just kind of cut to where they're slanted, you know, and I'm really looking for ways to, for some ideas to, if I don't sell them and they're going to be here, I'd like to use them and, and make them kind of naturalistic. I just don't have a deep because they're sliding glass doors, so I don't have a deep lip in there for me to plant, you know, or to put all the different layers of the substrate. I probably would have to, you know, settle on yeah. you know bark and stuff like that. And obviously, I'm not going right. to put plants in a carpet cage because they won't last very long. But
3: yeah, I mean, you you can go with a a little bit shallower of a substrate. Um, you might just have to. Any live plants you put in there, you might just have to pot them instead of playing them r- directly in the substrate. But um, right. you don't need you don't need too thick of a layer to have you know to support the um, springtails and isopods and things like that. Um, I mean, you you could probably get away with you know an inch or two of uh, the drainage layer, like uh, you know the clay pellets or gravel or something like that, and then maybe an inch of of actual substrate, um, and then just pot your plants.
1: Yeah, I might do that. We'll see. I, I've been thinking about it and stewing over it for the last few months and tried to do a little research online and stuff like that, but yeah, I'm also not sure if I was going to keep them and, you know, if I can't find anybody to buy them, then I'm definitely going to set them up and make them look nice, you know, like true display cages, as much as I can.
0: Yeah, that's a
1: good size. It's a good size
3: too. Good size cage.
1: Yeah, and I don't, I've done. Oh, I started to, to wonder if they're too too tall. Oh uh, no, they'll
3: they'll use them. I guarantee
1: it. Uh, when
3: people say their snakes don't move, I don't I don't get it. Maybe it's because I give them, you know more room, but uh, you know snakes use pretty much every square inch. i I give them i've I've never had a cage that I thought was too big
1: and hmm. you, you
2: should hang your perches for sure, Jeff, in those cages,
1: yeah, I'm gonna have to because right now my snakes are not using i mean they're not using the upper third of the cage because you know I don't have perches up that high but I figured I'd probably put the perches in there because I was going to go with some natural branches here local to my area, and I was going to put them with, like, eye hooks, you know. Um, I did that with some condor cages a long time ago, and my condors loved it, and I liked the perches because I could just remove the perch and put the animal on it. So I figured I'd probably do that this time around, too.
2: You You should go for it with one of them. Are they connected?
1: No, it's three. It's three separate pieces. I have the base, and then I have the the ca- one cage, and then I have another cage on top of that. And each one of the cages is, has a reinforced, uh, geez, what is it? It's like a weather stripping or something like that that runs along the bottom of the cage. It's aluminum, so it keeps the cage from sagging. So I could put a little. I mean, I wouldn't put gravel in there, but you know, I could put a little weight. They're the old uh, reptirax cages that back when he was doing HDPE like, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. And um, he doesn't make them like that anymore, but that's that's what the cages are. They're HTP. You, you should,
2: now that we've talked to Brian, you should go ahead and, and uh, do a naturalistic setup and, you know, take pictures step by step, do the foam wall and everything, post them on our Facebook.
1: Yeah, I just do that. Like, I know what the hell I'm doing. You can do whatever you want. Like, I have it that. in blue. What?
2: <laughs> You're like, what? okay, yeah, they're not for sale anymore. Okay, yeah, we're going to go ahead and do
1: that. <laughs> that. Well, that's that's the thing that's kept me from doing it because I was going to put them both for sale, and I didn't want to go through and, like, obviously modify them if I'm putting, like, a back wall in there and do all that stuff. But, you know, I, I don't think anybody's going to... Gonna buy them. I'm trying to sell them. With the, they've each got 80 watt heat, heat panels in them for reptile basics, and you know it's a pretty nice nice rig. You know it's a nice setup if you've got the space for it. I don't really want to split anything up, so I'm wanting to sell it all together. Oh well, right. If if it's gonna be here, then I then I'm gonna to want to make it nice and you know talking to Brian tonight's kind of giving me a few ideas of some stuff I could do with it. Yeah.
3: Cool. Uh, Go check out
1: dendroboard.com. You'll be on there for, like, a month straight. So i will a quarter of the What's site. that again? Uh, dendroboard.com, Stay boardcom <laughs> I, I went on there, like, three years ago. Stay away, Dayton, because I had <laughs> never in my life wanted to keep dart frogs until I went on that stupid forum, and for, like, a month I was researching <laughs> dart frogs. And then I was like, what the hell am I doing? I don't even want dart frogs. I just saw a bunch of really cool stuff on there. I'm like, oh, I want that now.
2: They're like, what the hell am I doing?
1: Yeah, it's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you want to get into leopard geckos. Oh, yeah. But um, they do have some it. really cool pictures and a lot of do-it-yourself stuff that's really neat, like step-by-step like threads that, that talk about especially like when he's talking about the substrate stuff. I remember seeing some pretty good ones. I just couldn't remember how it was all done. Yeah, they
3: they have like a, a members of a section and like a construction and parts section. You can kind of see people make like, a, you know, big uh, like build posts where they'll take pictures of kind of each step and, and walk you through what they did. Um, and then they'll kind of update it every you know a few months or a year or whatever you can kind see how it progresses pretty cool there's a lot of them on there
2: i was thinking about so, getting some of those um jeff had sent me something those conversion things that you had talked about brian um to convert the um aquariums it's it's like an acrylic oh yeah front, there's a company you know, that, that makes put those. over the top but yeah. Petco yeah. always has those like dollar a gallon sales, so like twenty bucks for a twenty gallon or ten bucks for a ten gallon. And you know, that's not a bad price if I buy one of those little converter things and it'd be a pretty cool case.
1: Go to Walmart. Yeah, I... Walmart has <laughs> ten gallons for like thirteen or fourteen dollars. Oh yeah? Yeah. They're pretty cheap. Yeah, you can
3: put up a little little baby Amazon pretty cool in there. Yeah. I I took a a seventy five gallon which I think is four foot by eighteen by eighteen and I put that on end. Um and was keeping dart frogs in it. Had those inserts in the front. You could probably fit a oh. lot of oh, dart wow. frogs in there. <laughs> I actually only have like four in there. They, I I swear they used every every square inch of it. Nice.
2: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't see why an animal wouldn't, as long as you provide, you know, as long as it gets the, the heating that it needs, or you know, the proper. At some point, I I, I wouldn't see why it wouldn't use the entire cage, you know.
3: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's kind of a a part of,
1: of the hobby that a lot of people don't get to see. Um, there's a I mean, uh, there's a company that makes them too. I'm posting on Facebook right now. I don't remember the name of the company. I just have a picture I downloaded off the site.
2: With <laughs> the conversion kit things?
1: Yeah, they make them for 20 gallons and 10 gallons. Those are like the two sizes. Cool. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Brian. Oh no, it's
3: all good. Um. Another thing I just thought about, um, is most, mo- I don't know if this is, um, kind of a trend in the Corrales community, but I'm sure Jeff, you know that most Conjure guys aren't really missing anymore. Um, no. Are, are, are most Corrales keepers doing
1: that anymore here? Are you asking? I'm mine.
2: Yeah. So there's this, uh, I guess this is a little observation that I've noticed, um, my, uh, I yeah I don't mist my um, my green trees very often, um, and I never miss like on the animal. Uh, but it seems like I need to mist my amazons more frequently, um, or they'll have bad sheds. And I don't know if there's anything to it, but it it seems like the shed is actually like chondro shed. Um, so I don't know. Maybe they have thicker skin, and they actually shed some of the pigment where my chondros don't. The um, you can't see any color on a on a chondro shed; it's just clear. But I can see color and pattern on my Amazon sheds.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, chondro skin is is very thin as far as pythons and you know boats go. So
2: oh, um, I do need to miss my uh Amazons and and uh not so much with my condros.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean I I, well, I do miss my
1: Amazons once or twice a week, but that's it. Condros, just not quite as frequently as I you know, I think most people used to do it
3: like every day. Um, you know, five or ten years ago. But Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll do it maybe twice a week. Um and, and it's Mostly just kind of like, um, you know, I, I worked in zoo and aquariums for, for a number of years. Still kind of do. I'm an aquaculture right now. Um, but, you know, it, I, it just kind of provides a little bit of enrichment, just kind of a little a different thing um, that they experience in the day. kind of gets them active. Um, but if you are going to keep live plants, it's kind of something you have to you have to consider. Um you know the paths especially um the engines will benefit from from uh misting and and watering and whatnot and um so if you're not comfortable with water being on your snakes around your snakes then um, that might be another consideration if you're gonna try one of these out
0: okay
2: so is there anything important that we haven't touched on anything? That you wanna, that needs to be said, or anything like that. Um, I guess along with the misting, um,
3: I like to kind of incorporate um, small computer fans uh, in my in my setups. Um, I they're not always going. I'll just kind of turn them on whenever I kind of feel like it, randomly, like maybe once a week, once every other week. Um, just to kind of get some airflow in there, um, you know, it also helps to dry it out a little bit um, intermittently. Uh, cool. You know, I it, it kind of when people talk about airflow, I'm always kind of confused because, you know, in my opinion, just having some holes in the side of a cage is still not really airflow. I mean, it, the air is shared between the outside and the inside, but there's really no flow. Going in and out, um, unless you have fans on the outside, you know, in in the room outside, I guess. Um, but I like I like to kind of put a small computer fan, get a little bit of air movement in there, um, you know, once every week, once you know, once biweekly or so, um, and I think that kind of helps the you know the
2: air quality and the health of of the system inside. So have you? Like where or how do you attach those to the cage? I'll, uh, like with the HDP cages that I use, I'll, um,
3: you know, drill out uh, a hole and put in, uh, you know, an air vent um, as, you know, one with as much, um, as many holes in it as I can find. Um, You know, like even if I can just drill it out and put a piece of screen over top. and then I'll just kind of put the uh attach the computer fan to the outside, um, so that it's blowing into the cage. Right. Um, you know, you can use uh, you know, nuts and bolts and, and screws or you know, whatever you you can use. Um, quality of the the air and the overall system.
1: That's a cool idea. That is a cool idea. Um, so, yeah. do you, uh, do? You, uh, I guess, yeah, I know you've pretty much gone over everything, but, like, for people that might be keeping morelia and want to kind of do something, uh, or at least carpets that want to do something kind of naturalistic, but they obviously can't really do a whole lot with plants, do you, are there types of rocks that you would recommend using, or you, are you just kind of limited to naturalistic perches and, you know, mulch a substrate with, with uh, some of the heavier snakes
3: Uh, no i u- i use rocks I, I mean i even use rocks in my car setups um i've used um slate um uh, i've even used um like dried out wire rock that you would use for for uh, reef setups um, pretty much anything um you know they'll they'll use it. I see my chondros rub up against it when they shed. Um, yeah, I, I mean, as far as rocks go, I mean, none of them are, are toxic or anything. So, it's pretty much anything that you you think would look nice, and, and you know, obviously, if there's some very sharp edges, I'd probably use caution. But other than that, um, you can use pretty much anything.
2: Would you mind um, taking a few pictures of some of your setups or? Old pictures that you already have and, and posting them on our Facebook page?
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, I wanted to ask that, too. I might <laughs> show, give everybody yeah. an idea. But
2: yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I don't know I'm know interested I... to see what you've been describing, you know. So. Yeah, I'm not, uh, I'll have to look through. I'm not sure if I have any
3: very recent photos, but I definitely have a bunch of old ones saved, so
1: I'll, I'll
0: post some stuff up. Yeah,
1: that's old cool. ones are fine. Just stuff that we yeah. can uh, use as reference and everything. Well, um, this has been really cool. I mean, super exciting to to – it's kind of rekindled my – I think I'm going to, you know, kind of rekindle my desire to do that with one of my cages. You know, I think I'm going to try and do something pretty cool for a little Amazon setup. But, um, yeah, so what do you – I guess we're kind of coming to a close here. What what do you got going on this year? Do you have any breeding plans? Are you just kind of – enjoying uh, the keeping of aspect of of your collection, Brian.
3: Yeah, I'm just kind of enjoying keeping them. Um.
1: Hello? I don't know what happened to Dayton. We lost him. Um, <laughs> I heard
3: like a I think like that, a kind of noise and
1: then went out. Yeah, he's back on now. Dayton. Hey. I don't know what yeah, happened.
2: Some <laughs> happened. I don't know what
1: happened. Yeah, it's all good. So yeah, you're Brian. You're you're keeping. You're just kind of enjoying keeping your animals and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I'm just
3: uh, kind of growing up what I have and and slowly kind of adding to the collection and um hoping to maybe. Uh, pair up some animals in another year or two.
1: Oh, okay. Very cool. Um, do you have any? Uh, are there any species that you'd like to get into besides condors?
0: Uh, I,
3: mean, I know you're I, working with yeah. condors now, but. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I thought about kind of getting into amazons again. Um, I really kind of attracted to a lot of the kind of eyeball arboreal colubrids um like some of the um vine snakes and uh flying snakes and uh you know stuff like that um fortunately there some of that stuff is kind of hard to come by nowadays seems like over the past five years a lot of stuff has kind of gone by the
1: wayside Um, did you see the uh, did you see the guy that just had some vine snakes He posted on facebook he just had a i think his second um I don't know if do they. I don't even know if they lay eggs or what. But um, was it
3: um, Mike Clarkson? I, I think.
1: I think that's who it was. Yeah, um, yeah. I, yeah, I, saw I those. think he. He had three or four, I think, this time, and he had some. Uh, had had a clutch last year too.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I I love those things. I used to keep them when I lived in Pennsylvania, but you know most of them only eat knolls and and house geckos and things like that. But now that I'm in South Florida, I have a pretty ready supply
1: of all that stuff. So I'm, I'm looking to get back into them again. Okay. Cool. That should be pretty fun. You have to let us know how it goes. And uh, yeah, we might have to get you back on here again, too, if we if Dayton and I start messing around with a, with some naturalistic setups. We might have to get <laughs> you back on and, and talk some okay. more about it and maybe bring on a, hey. a second guest.
3: Yeah, sure. Anytime.
1: Awesome. Well, do you have anything else, uh, Dayton?
2: I, I I think that covers it. I want want to thank Brian for coming on. I mean, it's a cool show. But, I mean, it's it, there's a lot to talk about. So I I learned a lot. And... Yeah. Thanks.
1: Yeah. For sure.
3: Yeah. No problem. Um,
1: yeah.
3: Like I said, I mean, I, I think it's kind of a part of the hobby. That's uh, at least by what you see on the internet, seems to be as gone by the wayside um, for a lot of people other than the dart frog folks, of course. Um, so I kind of would like to see some other people get into it with uh, with snakes.
2: Yeah, I don't see, you know I don't see me switching over you know all my cages to that, but I definitely see me maybe doing a cage or two um, you know for fun and and seeing how it works
1: out. Yeah, it should yeah, be that's really awesome. cool. Awesome. All right, well, Brian, we appreciate you coming on. And um, if anybody that wants to get in uh, a hold of uh, Brian to uh, bounce some questions off of, or whenever you do start producing anything or have anything for sale, wants to inquire about anything, uh, would you mind putting your contact info out there for everybody? Uh, sure. sure.
3: Um, you find me on facebook uh you know brian fisher um my email is bfisher44 at hotmail.com um and i also just started a website it's chondrohub.com there's not a whole lot on it yet but i uh i'll probably be putting some content up there and just some of my thoughts and uh maybe i'll put some construction plans and stuff like that up up there now that i've uh, done this and put
1: some info out there Awesome. Well, cool. All right. Well, Brian, you have a good night and enjoy the uh, the rest of your six-pack or whatever <laughs> you got left.
3: <laughs> yeah, you, got, you too. Um, Thanks for having me.
1: No problem. All right, man. Well, have a good night. All right, you too. Bye. All right, man. It's pretty cool, huh?
2: Yeah, no, I'd, I'll probably set it I don't know, at least maybe maybe do one set up for my uh, Crested Gecko and get that set up in a naturalistic at least. Um,
1: yeah, I I thought about doing that too. It's mine seems to be like a dwarf though. It hasn't grown hardly at all. <laughs> so I have I have had some pothos in there. Yeah, I keep it on a paper towel because I'm f- freaked out that it's going to get um like fine like soil and stuff in their mouth which I heard from some crusted gecko folks that baby crusteds will do that so I've been trying to err on the side of safety and use paper towel but I missed every, every Monday, uh, Wednesday and, and Friday and I have some pothos that I just took out of the pot and just have left on there with the roots you know but they're thrive- it's thriving in the tub and there's no soil whatsoever. it's just sitting on on paper towel, but because I miss it three times a week, I think that's why,
2: yeah, no, you can even just like put it in just plain like straight water and it'll grow roots,
1: yeah, huh, well, I have to see what I'm gonna do for for the amazons because i'm I'm kind of wanting to uh rig one of those thirty six by twenty four by like twenty fours up and you know, put a pair of amazons in there. I will most likely have to use potted plants just because I don't have a deep. I can't. There's not a lot for me to 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 put a lot of substrate in.
2: I honestly think if you're gonna if you're gonna keep the pair together, it would be better to do a naturalistic aquarium because it'll. Yeah. I don't know. You know, they, it gives them some separation. They can you know get their own spots. They can hide from each other. Things like that. So.
1: Yeah, and I could put like a potted plant in the corner and just like stack some rocks around the front of it so that you can't even really see the pot. And if I yeah. use pothos, once it starts growing over, it'll be all kinds of kind of viney and stuff should be neat. Yeah. Um, all right, man, well, uh, I'm going to, I guess, turn the time over to you because I've pretty much said everything I need to say.
2: All right. Well, um I guess uh thanks everybody for listening. Uh If you got any questions or comments about this episode or episodes that we have coming, uh you know, you can shoot me or Jeff a message on Facebook, um, or you could email us at corralisradio at gmail.com. Um or you could uh I mean, you can also check out our website, uh www. Um yeah, I think that about covers
1: it. Yeah. Very cool. Well so, you guys uh uh be sure and, and check out uh, Morelia Python Radio. Uh, you can find them on Facebook. Um they've got a great show going for for uh all the, the Morelia complex. Um also got a new show going from Betty. Uh, Buddy Bashimi and, and um, Bill's, I don't know how to say his last name, Stegel or Stite. I don't know how to say his last name. Buddy and Bill show, Green Tree Python Keeper uh, Radio, um, had their pilot episode uh, last night or maybe it was the night before last. So, uh, you know, got some good shows coming up um, with everybody. So um, it's fun and it's good to learn about other species and what other people are doing. Show us your support. Um, send us emails, call in, ask us questions. We want to get some feedback from from everybody out there. So, yeah. All right. All right. Good night. All right, Daniel. Dean. Well. Good night.